Welcome back to Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. How's it going out there? Hope everybody's doing good. Thanks for listening. Um, special shout out before I begin to my good friend Robin Thede, who uh, just premiered her show. You guys have to watch her show, The Rundown with Robin Thede on BT, Thursday nights at 11 o'clock. It was hilarious. It was so funny. I'm so proud of Robin, formerly of The Nightly Show. Now, the speaker for the world now, Robin Thede's out there doing her thing. It's great. You guys got to catch it. I think the, I'm sure they'll drop in clips online and all that stuff, but it's hilarious. There's some stuff. Uh, just she takes down everything out there that should be taken down, you know. I like, I saw a comment on, on, <laughs> on Twitter where she did a joke about Eminem. I mean, everybody's on Eminem's side about that viral video. But I love how uh, Robin doesn't quite go there. You know, she gives him credit, but I saw somebody mention on Twitter, it's like, I like how Robin Thede gives Eminem his props, but doesn't quite invite him to the cookout. <laughs> and that's kind of her style, too. It's like, mm, I don't know about inviting him to the cookout, but we'll see how it goes. So props to my friend Robin before I get started. Real proud of you, Robin. Great job. So anyhow, once in a while, um, we're going to be mixing it up here on Black on the Air. Today, we're going to do a special episode uh, called the mailbag episode. I have this huge sack of all these letters, you guys, because everybody's old school here. And we're going through the letters and answering questions. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, well, you know, people always have a lot of questions for me. So we thought it'd be fun to just sit and answer some questions and um, shoot the sheet a little bit. And um, I'll be doing it with my buddy Tommy Alter here. How's it going, Tommy? Larry, thanks for having me. Tommy's in a very good mood, you guys, because Ed, when we're taping this right now, his cubbies... One last night, they beat the Nets. Somehow, some way. <laughs> you were so nervous, weren't you? There was no, we had no business. Yeah. Not only do we, know, we have no business winning last night, we had no business winning the series. Yeah. And now we got your guys. Oh, and now, and now, we now got the Dodgers. The rematch. Yeah, that's going to be fun. The Cub fans have had so much emotion bottled up over the years. Like they can't, it's like a person that has never been able to express themselves and then they get a compliment, you yeah. know, and their body just shakes. Yeah. You know, there's nothing they yeah. can do. But you let know? me, are you, are you as a mm -hmm. Dodger fan? Because with the season you guys have had yeah. this year, that's just sort of insane. I'm cautiously optimistic. But what, at what point with your sort of recent history, at yeah. what point do you start getting nervous? Like if you lose game no, one. No, there's no nervousness because for us, this is, you could talk. Now, by the way, let me just further introduce Tommy. Tommy works for The Ringer. Because the Black in the Air is part of the Ringer podcast. And he used to work on the Nightly Show. My boy Tommy. Um, Tommy. Somehow didn't get fired from the Nightly yes, Show. Yes, no, you left <laughs> tried. I tried no, many times. get but... <laughs> fired. Are you kidding me? But Tommy, uh, Tommy's one of the people. He's one of those mayors of the world. He just knows everybody. So, so I love talking to Tommy about uh, a lot of different subjects. We, we just like to... To just shoot the shit a lot. So that's who Tommy is, just for context. So back to you being nervous about... No, I'm not, because look, I'll compare it to, to our good friend Bill Simmons. Do you, he was not nervous in 2008 when the Celtics beat the Lakers. I'll tell you why. Because it was 20 years was the last time the Celtics this, won. So there's no nervousness. we got Bill in here right now... He was not nervous that got, year. No, no. He was nervous the 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 next time we pay, played the Lakers yeah. and we kicked their ass. <laughs> he was nervous that year, but not that first year when you come back. Because, look, we'll be disappointed, Yeah, but 
we've been living in disappointment for so long, you know. Yeah, they, so it's there's a, not nervousness. And it's, it's Southern California. It's like you're, you're you're at a certain point you show up in the third inning and you and you. Oh come on, man! <laughs> people don't people don't give traffic enough credit here. <laughs> they act like people want to show up in the third inning. It's yeah. not at all, it's all about traffic. Yeah. Everything is related to traffic here. Well, so last mm-hmm. sports thing. All right, the Rams. Yes. Do you care about them at all? Well, here's the thing. I told I said this before. I said it last week to Michael Bennett. The Rams left me. I didn't leave them. You know, part of me will I like it if the Rams do well, you know. I like uh I like what their offense is doing a lot, you know. Yeah. I think they have a lot. I think the Rams the Rams could go to the NFC championship. Well they're game well coached year. now. You know, yes, there's such a disaster that's the key. last year and But they have enough talent to get to the NFC championship. But the NFC yeah. is really tough this year too. The Eagles, man, they're looking pretty good. They look really good yeah. last night. Yeah. So it's going to be tough. But they I think the Rams are setting themselves up for the next few years. So let's get into some of these. We got a bunch of All right. uh, we got a bunch of good ones from we got mailbag. across every different topic. Go First one, Wanda in Chicago. Wanda in Chicago. Ooh. A little Bernie Mac action. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you make of the whole Jamel Hill situation? Do you think she'll uh, be able to make it work at ESPN? Here's the thing. Whether it works at ESPN or or it doesn't would be ESPN's loss if Jamel Hill doesn't work over there. She is a huge talent as far as I'm concerned. I've had my eye my eye on Jamel Hill. I've been a fan of Jamel Hill's for a really long time. I used to love it when she uh, would uh, sub on Sports Reporters, um, which I thought was a really cool show. It was one of the coolest shows ESPN was that one of her had. first? Was that one of her first sort of uh, television roles there? It may have been. It may have been. Um, I, I can't say because I don't... I don't exactly know her path during those years. But to me, I, you never saw that many women on Sports Reporters, you know. And here is this kind of young, brash black woman who, you know, was just seemed so unique given her point of view. That's where she kind of caught my eye, you know. I thought, wow, she's awesome. And I started following her back in those days. And whenever she would pop up, you know, I was really happy to see her and that kind of stuff. But she's really coming to her own with her opinions and that kind of stuff. And ESPN, I think, just is having some identity issues right now. And they're, I think they're not quite sure where they, they're kind of caught between two systems, that old school, um, you know, just showing clips of stuff and making funny comments. Yeah. And people who actually have opinions about the world yeah. and are presenting sports in a different way. Um, and it partly it's because of technology. People can get highlights at any time yeah. for things too. So what do you do with the twenty four hour sports network? Yeah, that's a lot of it's a lot of space. It's a, it's lot, a lot of airtime right? to fill. I mean, it's one of the reasons why CNN has started the devolution of news. You know, when news was a fifteen minute broadcast, we got the best. Yeah, it was never better than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Edward R. Murrow was the king because he had to fill fifteen minutes on radio. You yeah, know? <laughs> but. uh you know, when CNN started 24-hour news, over the years, you get something like Fox News, you know, and you get all these attempts at keeping people's attention is, is what it becomes rather than delivering good information, you know. <clears throat> and when you're in the business of keeping people's attention, um, quality isn't necessarily a byproduct of that, Yeah, you know. And, well, uh, well, you've been in. So one thing that I was interested about your sort of parallel to the mm-hmm. situation is you've been in a creative position, obviously for for uh, for twenty up uh, twenty plus years. Long time, long, man. Long time. But you've had to long deal. Time. You've had to deal with all sorts of different types mm-hmm. of execs and right. suits and people like that who yes, I have. on every type of show shows you're mm-hmm. hosting, shows you created, yep. 
shows you're writing on, everything like that. Yeah. And so this is a situation, even without getting into the super sort of ESPN specifics, where right. it's like you have the suits coming down and are telling Jamel, you can do this and you can't do mm-hmm. this, yet they hired her to be a commentator, yeah. not a reporter. And so like, how do you sort of, how did you sort of manage that line and like what can she do to sort of keep her own sanity while also respecting the fact that these they sort of have to do their job well there's a fundamental difference between like things i may have had to face and what she's going after and the fundamental difference is hers is playing out in public and it even has commentary from the president of the united states yeah you know mine was an internal fight that most creatives have with people in charge but it was not a unique situation. Anybody that ever did what I did is going to fight with the people in charge. That's just how creativity yeah. working in showbiz goes, you know. But Jamel's having something new, you know. She's living in a world where your comments are instantly um, are instantly out in the world, you know. And people have comments on your comments, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I think what she – and because she was talking about a very – what is now a divisive issue, um, the Colin Kaepernick issue, and the issue of police brutality in America as it pertains to African Americans especially, um, there's a lot of people that disagree with her opinion on that, including the President of the United States. Yeah, who's been public about it, name-dropping her multiple times. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so she's in a different fight. Yeah. And because ESPN is in an existential fight, you know, they're trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. And... I don't think they know what to do with the Jamel situation. I think the, her suspension is them trying to figure out what to do with it. I don't think they dislike Jamel, but I don't think they like the attention that that's bringing. I don't think she's going to last there, is my opinion. You don't think so? Don't do you think, think, think so. she comes back? My prediction is she comes back and another thing happens, just like other people, just like your boy. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, so, so, I mean, because Jamel Hill is brilliant. How is she going to shut up? You're going to tell this person to shut up and not express themselves? Well, what makes this even more tough is there's always something to comment on. I mean, right. Trump is not going away, and we're going to get to him a little bit later with some of these other questions. But, mm-hmm. you know, every, every, not even every day, every three hours, there's something. And so as a commentator, mm-hmm. you know, this is a thing which, which is going to rear its head over and over again. Yeah. It, it's, it's an interesting issue, and we'll see. But I think it's also changing the definition of what people are allowed to do and how we accept those people in those roles. You know, it's, it's hard to compare it to what happened to others who have been fired because we're just in a different age yeah. right now do you and th- things are changing. Do you think sports and politics are going to be intertwined just from now on? They've always been intertwined. You think so? Of course. I mean— when blacks weren't allowed to play in baseball, yeah, that's a political issue. Yeah, you know, um, when I mean Bobby Riggs playing Billie Jean King, you know, that's sports and politics and gender and everything mixed up in that. You know? uh, have you seen that movie? By the no, way, no, I haven't seen it's it. It's really but, good, but it's funny because I remember it, yeah. and it's funny talking to people. saying, yeah. oh, I never knew that happened. It's like it's funny whenever I think of Billie Jean King, I think of weird, Bobby Riggs. It's yeah. like a weird sort of. Yeah. St- Stunt thing, which I would have loved to have been alive for that, that to yeah. have seen that because it just was. It was crazy. It's crazy. It was so he was such a fool. Um, what's yeah. been the most impactful sort of single moment of sports and politics in your lifetime? I would say the well, the most impactful has to be just the career of Muhammad Ali. Yeah, for me personally, um, and I was a bit young when he um, stood out from. The war. My my first 
real memory of a, of a sports political thing was the 1968 Olympics. And when, when, those, when Tommy Smith and Juan Carlos, <clears throat> I'm getting their name wrong. But, uh, that was right. Yeah, John, Carlo, John Carlos. John Carlos, right. When uh, that Black Power salute, man, as a kid, I was like, whoa, what is, I mean, who does that? Yeah. I mean, that opened my eyes to so many things at that moment as a child, you know, and, um, and it's funny because when I look at Muhammad Ali, a lot of people now, when you, in the retrospect, they kind of focus on him staying out of the war, you know, but I never really looked at that so much about that. That's when he got a lot of the, a lot of white liberals on him, his side, because he was hated by a lot of people, Yeah, you know. And he got kind of that college circuit on his side, the Vietnam War protesters and that group on his side. But that was directly related to that cause, you know. Um, and also, some of that, believe it or not, I feel is, was a little self-serving for Ali at the time because he was told by the Nation of Islam not to do that and whatever. And, and at first, Ali, he didn't have a religious objection at first to that. First, uh, he said, well, maybe I could do this or that. You know, yeah. He was trying to find ways around it, you know. And Ali, at that time, he just wanted to continue making money as a boxer. Yeah. I don't think he was really what you would call woke at that time, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> but that the experience of doing that, I think, changed him more than he was changed at the beginning of it. I think having gone through it made him the Ali that he— The, 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 neg- the amount of just hate and sort of vitriol he got— I, Yes, and the fact— towards him. Yes, and being on the outside and that type of stuff. And I think he found his voice during it. But for me, as a black kid growing up, it was his brashness, his unapologetic blackness that affected me more than his stance on the war. Yeah. Because at that time, black people were, were apologizing all over the place in order to be accepted, you know, in terms of— how you interacted with people in society, especially in sports or that type of thing. I mean, there was always a version of yes, yes, man, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that broad, but there were versions of that. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it kind of, this is for older people who apologize for this, but it was kind of a, the worst version of that was when Sammy Davis Jr., I think he hugged Nixon or something like that. And we were like, no, <laughs> that was like, oh, no, what it's are like you doing? It's like the Kanye Trump thing. Yes, but was when, just cringing. But Ali, as this fierce black man who didn't back down to anybody and was proudly proclaiming things, that was exhilarating for a young black kid at the time. Yeah. You know, and that was a political statement in my mind. Well, it's really. So that was, that was my first connection it, to that. It's really yeah. interesting. I mean, you did this great, you had this great conversation with Michael Bennett last week. Yeah. That, that's up right now. And you could, we, you, I was in the room for it, and you could see with Michael, who's mm-hmm. been through sort of that same type of gauntlet over the last three or four months. Mm-hmm. He is, he seemed, I mean, he was, a, he's obviously a, a great guy and he was mm-hmm. in good spirits and everything like that, but you can tell he's a little shaken by this whole thing. Yeah. He's a little shaken. It's, it's kind of a different situation. You know, he doesn't have that, the blazing hot celebrity. That, yeah. He doesn't have the stature. No, but it's a, because remember Ali was the, the re, there were several reasons why he was hated during that time. You know, he didn't represent what people thought black people should be. And he also joined the nation of Islam. And a lot of people, they didn't know much about that. That was just seen as an out and out hate group, you know, and people were afraid of that. You know, yeah. so people were afraid of Ali at that time too, you know, more than anything else. I think Bennett, his thing, he's part of a larger cause that's bigger than him yeah. right now, and he's a part of that. 
and so you become a target. Ali was the cause, you yeah. know. And, he was the thing. And you know? he was Ali was <laughs> participating in a sport where he was he's the whole team. So yes. there's no one who can bench him. Right. There's no one who can do. And you know what's the start of Muhammad Ali when he was Cassius Clay? The way that he got into boxing was uh, he had a brand new bicycle. Uh, he and his brother, I think, were sharing it, and uh, it was raining or something. They left the bike outside, and the bike was stolen. And he went to the police and, uh, you know, wanted help stealing his bike. And the police chief at the time, or the captain, was also training boxers. And Ali talked to him at the gym, and he was fascinated by what he was seeing. And one thing that he saw in that gym was he saw black guys who were able to punch white guys. <laughs> and think about that. This is in Louisville. Yes, that didn't happen anywhere in society. That sounds ridiculous now. Yeah. But th- think about what happened a f- a f- just in that same time period. You had Emmett Till, who supposedly looked at a white woman the wrong way and was lynched. You know, here is young Ali in the shadow of Emmett Till seeing, oh, my God, you're allowed to punch white people? Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. Know? Yes. I mean, to see that happening in the gym there when he was a kid in Louisville and the fact that he could actually defend himself because somebody stole his bike. Like that was a huge message for him. That's what first got him interested in boxing. It's kind of interesting. So, that's so interesting. Yeah. There's a little Muhammad Ali tidbit. Maybe some a, of you know. You were an expert. Well, Ali, come on, man. Yeah. That's, I mean, you got it. I mean, come on. Um, all right. <clears throat> Layla, New York has an interesting question. Layla. Oh, I like that name. How does Hollywood stop the next Harvey Weinstein from happening? Oh, is, God. And then the follow-up is, is, is this as prevalent in the industry as it seems from the outside looking at? Are you kidding me? <laughs> is it as prevalent? Oh, my God. Layla, how old are you, Layla? <laughs> you have to know. She's in New York. She's, she's, <laughs> no, I'm not mad at you, Layla. I'm not mad. Cause th- and this is a very serious issue. Uh, do not take it lightly. But the Harvey Weinstein thing, I mean, Hollywood is is a place where – you have the grossest example of something that happens everywhere, you know. But I think Hollywood and certainly the world of politics, the high world of business, certainly international business, um, also in the startup world right now, yeah, which is kind of the wild, wild west, there's so much sexual harassment going on. It's ridiculous. Harvey Weinstein is just a bloated piggy example of something that's been going on for a long time. But with him, and with him, it wasn't just harassment. It was assault. It was, I mean, the Ronan oh, Farrow you're, you're friendly with, who had this incredible New Yorker story. That was devastating. With just yeah. where he had audio and he had all kinds of just like hard evidence of right. not just he said, she said, but right. these are examples of him assaulting these women. Yes. This is more than a quid pro quo. This is a quid pro rape. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is, you know. I rape you, you you be silent, and maybe you'll get something out of it. But I'm getting this out of it, yeah. you know. But so um, what? So now in, in in 2017, I mean, obviously this is a it's a great thing for not just Hollywood, but it's a great thing for the country and the world that he's being stopped for this, and he whether he's going to face charges or not. But how do mm-hmm. like? If you are if you're giving advice to like young people coming up in the industry, especially young actors, mm-hmm. because you just have cast a million shows and you've been in yeah. that position before, like how what well, how do they stay the away from it? The, here's the thing. Here's what's difficult. Um, the Harvey Weinstein thing points to uh, when there's a huge power imbalance, and you have dirty men like that who take advantage of that power imbalance. You know, it can be very hard 
to discover those things because people don't speak up because of the power imbalance. You know, like, for instance, those women couldn't go to the Weinstein Company HR department, for Christ's sakes, because that's overseen by Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Who are they going to speak up to? And a lot of the things, here's what's insidious about it. He, like, if you listen to that that horrible tape um, of him, a lot of what he's doing isn't technically illegal. It's gross and horrible, but the words, it sounds like he's choosing his words carefully, like he's asking someone something as opposed to ordering them, you know, and I think he was, he was very careful about that in the way that, you know, that a criminal who doesn't want to get caught later or is covering their tracks, yeah. you know, seems careful about that. I mean, it's just like the whole Cosby thing. That's right. I haven't forgotten about yeah. you, motherfucker, <laughs> you know, like the whole Cosby thing, which, uh, when you say when they want to say it was consensual because she was unconscious, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but making sure, but even by drugging women, you know, their memories of it are even kind of fuzzy. But it's always using that promise of something with the imbalance of the power struggle. And that's why a lot of the women that he went after were like 22, 23 about that age just starting out, you know. Yeah. They, they felt like, "Oh my god, this is the last person in the world. I'll never work in the business." If I'm, you know, if I don't say the right thing or whatever, you know, um, it's a sad situation. The thing I don't like, I don't like how it's turning into a political football, you know, like these things. This is that one thing which needs to stop being political. People need to stop taking political sides. You know, on my show, <clears throat> on Nightly Show, I went after the right and the left on this issue. Yeah. I, I didn't care if somebody aligned politically on it. Um, and it's also, I mean, and... and and we can get into Trump after this, but sure. with, a, with a case like Trump, Trump obviously he's had these accusations leveled against him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he's also like this whole thing of using the relationship with the Obamas and the Clintons as their mm-hmm. friends with Harvey Weinstein, so that this is their fault somehow. Like mm-hmm. Trump was also friends with Harvey. He's not. He's not mm-hmm. coming from like the Bayou in Louisiana, and he's never met this guy. Like there's a right. ton of pictures of them together. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think Weinstein's ever. He never donated anything to Harvey Weinstein because they weren't in that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. But this is a. There's a very. It's just. I agree with you. That it's just very insidious that no, it immediately gets to that point. It's Harvey Weinstein's fault. You know, that's who did it. Yeah. He's the person that needs to go to prison. If anybody enabled that, then they're at fault too. But it's primarily his fault. But the way that these, but because of the collusion of silence in society and that kind of stuff, he's allowed to get away with that for too long, you know. And uh, and then what happens is, like, I see some people <sighs> coming out and blaming the women in Hollywood who are speaking out now. Um, like calling them names, and they don't realize that they're engaging in the same type of shutting women down. Yeah. For on this topic, they don't, or if they do realize it, then shame on them. But that's the whole point, yeah. <laughs> you know that that women have felt shut down on this. That's the whole point of these women that had no power. What's this twenty-two-year-old going to do when if he didn't do something that's definitely illegal? It, it's in that fuzzy area because he knows he can get away with that. Yeah, she's she's done. You know, she only comes out bad in it. She gets humiliated. She doesn't get retribution. Nothing happens to him, and the world moves on, and everybody forgets about her. 
No you one know. even wants to hear the story. Everybody forgets about her. Well, that was one of, the, one of the creepiest yeah. things about this, just hearing some of these accounts for me was- It was creepy. It wasn't just what he was doing, but he had these these journalists on the payroll and everything yeah. like that. And so he, he, like when you talk about the HR department, right. it wasn't just that like you go to the HR department and they don't listen to you and they tell Harvey. It's like you go to certain outlets and not only do they not publish the story, yeah. they tell- they tell Harvey, and then all of a sudden he knows you're going to them yeah. because he's giving them consulting deals. Or There's so much collusion. And what, yeah. the f- what the fuck is going on with NBC News? I mean, NBC News, first of all, didn't want to release that whole Trump uh, tape. The Billy Bush tape. Yes. Yeah, they and had, now got, they're like leaked. squashing the Ronan Farrow this thing. Time, this time last year, this time a year ago, yes. that tape came out. And and they didn't want to release it for a while, and somebody basically had to leak the tape to right. the Washington Post. And that's how it got out, and it almost swung the election. It was a huge, still like a watershed moment in political history, that tape coming out. Right, but even if the excuse was and so then explain, was well, the election, it does not explain the Harvey Weinstein yeah, thing. Yeah, so you want to explain know. that. Okay, so Ronan Farrow was, works for NBC News. He had a show on MSNBC. He's uh, writing, he's doing this investigation into these allegations. Long investigation, like nine, ten months yes. long investigation. And he interviewed a lot of people. Some people turned it down. Some people spoke. Some people anonymously. Some people on the record. And uh, and I think uh, it was Ronan who talked to the woman, forgive me, I, I can't recall her name, but who worked with the police and was wired and got that tape that we heard, you know. Uh, but I think he wanted to break this through NBC News. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I don't know the particulars of it, they didn't do it. And he ended up, I think it broke through the New Yorker. Yeah, through uh, the New Yorker. He ended up paying out of pocket to go do some of these interviews, both on camera sure. and traveling right. to go places, because not only would they not run the story, they basically yeah. said, you need to stop doing this. Yep. It just blows my mind. Yeah. You know. Miles in Washington D.C. and a separate Miles. topic has an interesting question. Oh, separate topic. Okay. Who is your Who is your favorite and least favorite nightly show cast member, <laughs> and why? And oh, come on! And man. what was your favorite experience from the show? Miles is trying to stir up shit. Nightly show <laughs> question. Uh, who was my favorite and least favorite? Yeah. Why would somebody want to know least? Miles favorite? is just getting Miles into is it. Staring at a, Miles, I don't have a least favorite. I loved everybody on that show. Nobody's. But if I had to pick one, I'd have to say John Stewart. Okay, that's a good answer. Because he was uh, John. He helped us launch the show, and then he was gone. We never saw John. And when do I see John? He comes back when I'm leaving. Thanks, John. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Actually, that's a silly answer. I love John, of course. Uh, without without John, that show doesn't happen. Well, so what was your what was your if you had to take one one takeaway, one takeaway experience from the show, um, I my biggest thing was um, man, just hearing from people, um, just regular people, not in, you know people who are out there writing things or whatever, but just ordinary people who wanted to hear the stories that we were hearing that nobody else was covering and what it meant to them is the thing that I'll always carry from that show, and I still hear from those people. Um, and one of our goals of the show was to try to cover stories that nobody else was covering, sticking up for the underdog, some of those things. We were going to have like a little underdog thing on the set in the beginning. That's how much we were thinking about the underdog. And, of course, race, class, and gender, as John put it, he feels any problem in America, you peel it back. That's One of those things is going to be under there somewhere. But there were so many issues that I felt we were just at the beginning of in, of having a conversation and just like back on the air, how I like having conversation. The nightly show is intended to have that conversation with America that people didn't want to have. Yeah. You know, race, of course, being a big one. 
but class, I feel, is still underserved, you know, and gender is the conversation of this century as far as I'm concerned, you know, in the way that race was. And even when we think about what we've talked about over the last 40 minutes, it's yeah. all been a variation of those three yeah, topics. Yeah, it's just, the, it, it's in Those are the issues that people are always divided about, you know. Yeah. Michael in El Paso, uh, we had to get to Trump at some point. Huh. Has Trump gone full crazy? Oh, God. And, and the thing that he references, he says on Wednesday, Trump mm-hmm. gave a bill signing ceremony and he walked off the stage uh, without signing the bill. I think he's done that before. Well, to me, that was, I think, the health care thing that they're, they're trying to kill the subsidies for um, yeah, and low-income people. Yeah, and they did people. that today a little bit. Yeah, and I think that was the signing ceremony yeah. for it. Uh, but I think there's that little... Little tiny bit of light, that little, like Jiminy Cricket who's on life support, who's living in deep inside the, the empty, vacuous um, body that, where there used to be a soul in Trump's, in Trump's carcass that tells him, no, motherfucker, you shouldn't do this, <laughs> and held him back a little bit to get him out of that room. <laughs> and that was the one thing, like, no, what are you doing? Just You're the- hurting the most vulnerable people in this. This whole Obamacare thing with the right, with the Republicans and with Trump is so disingenuous, you know. Um, and the fact that they would, you know, give poison to something and then, and then warn us about how something's in a death spiral. Well, you know. Well, it's also it's what's really interesting about it is it's a politically really unpopular issue for them with their voters. It's right. something which is going to hurt their voters and yes. will maybe maybe sort of force, especially a lot of the the members of the House may get them voted out of office because it's like it's a it's a voting issue. Like well, it's something that people will vote on is just on health care, but. The people that pay for their campaigns want them to do this. And so it's so just, shameful, Tommy. It's yeah. so shameful because it's it's all rooted in cynicism and not in making something better. Or if they truly believe it shouldn't be around, really eliminating it and doing something better. Look, to me, legislation is legislation. I don't have any emotional connection to legislation, for Christ's sakes. It was Republicans who called it Obamacare in an attempt to discredit it. you know. But it's the Affordable Care the, the Affordable Care Act, right? If something's not working, let's make it work better. But you don't do that by punishing the most vulnerable people in society in an effort to send your signal that you're on the right political side of it. That's that's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. It's just horrible. Yeah. You know, um, so I just, I wanted to throw up when I looked at that picture of him signing that thing with all those people laughing and clapping. I just thought it was horrible. But are you, at at this point, are you, I mean, you're obviously... But Trump's always been crazy. It's not an indication of him being more crazy. He just, crazy isn't the right word, you know. There's just, there's no rudder in there. You know, there's nothing guiding it except narcissism, you know. Um, So wherever (laughs) that narcissism, you know, the the wind of those narcissism cells are self-aggrandizement, you know. Zach and Trenton has an interesting question. In 2017, or 2018... What do you expect from Barack Obama? Huh, 2018? Yeah. Uh, I think he's, I, I think Obama is going to get out and uh, be a cheerleader for the party, I think, is what he's probably going to do more of. I don't know if he's going to do anything, um, like, I don't know if he's going to start a business with them. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. But it looks like he's positioning himself to be a voice of the party. Bill Clinton did a little bit of that, you know, being cheerleader. Voting voting rights stuff, maybe? Well, look, I mean, right out of college, he's a community organizer. I mean, it's obvious that he likes 
being in the grassroots arena of it, his most comfortable thing as president, as is Trump's, the one thing that Trump and Obama have in common is they are the most comfortable out with the people. Make For Obama, it was doing the rallies just as well as Trump. I mean, that's one thing they have in common. That was Obama's most comfortable. He was most comfortable when he was campaigning. Yeah. You know, um, so I think he'll do that in some form because I think he really does care about preserving the Democratic Party. Yeah. I think he really is a party person. Well, you you spent some time with him. What do you think he's thinking? When he's, <laughs> I spent a little bit of time. spent a little bit of time. You called, yeah. him, you called him the N-word in front of oh, thanks, Tommy. 100 million people. I don't know if I called him that. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you think he's thinking when all of the – like, is he paying attention to every sort of – Oh, I don't detail? think Obama misses a thing. He's, he's, oh, he's, no. he's following it Oh, all. God. He's so I mean, smart. Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't miss a thing. He was like that as president. When he, that's what was made him kind of. He was so much fun to watch because you knew at any point he'd make a sly comment about something. You're like, Obama's paying attention to that too, you know. Yeah. And he covered the range of things, you know, that he was paying attention to. But I, I think he pays attention to everything that's going on. But it, it would be interesting to get his take on what is the intervention right now. You know, like how can you stop this Trump thing? Because as you know, I predicted that he would. Trump is going to get reelected. Yeah. And I don't like that prediction. You predicted he was going to get elected. And I predicted he was going to get elected. And, and I elected. didn't like that prediction either. Yeah. But uh, but in order for him not, you can't just have a candidate. There needs to be a huge intervention, you know, in the country somewhere. Yeah. You know, to turn this tide around. And I don't know how that's going to come. But I don't know. Obama could help with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, he didn't end up helping Hillary, really. No. No, it didn't seem it to didn't make that much of a difference. It seemed like it seemed like it did. Well, that's always but the, it didn't. That's the always and we had this when we were talking with uh Favreau and those guys when mm-hmm. they were here a month ago. Yeah. There's a there's a cult of personality around mm-hmm. Obama that helps him. Yeah. And so when he was running in 2008 or 2012, he he was able to break all of these rules and, mm-hmm. and stereotypes and everything like that and break through them, but it doesn't seem to... But see, the, That the, coalition is not necessarily a repeatable thing for anybody else. No, because but the Democratic Party has always been energized around cult of personality. Yeah. All the way back to FDR. FDR, st- there's still a cult of personality around FDR. You know, Truman wasn't popular because there wasn't anything there. Then you got JFK, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, LBJ and Carter, Clinton, not so much. Clinton. Carter got a lot of them, but then Clinton cult personality, Obama cult personality. The Republicans really haven't had that with the exception of Reagan and possibly Eisenhower. You know, until, Eisenhower, until Trump. the campaign for Eisenhower was I like Ike. Yeah. That's a cult of personality. You know, Reagan, definitely cult of personality. But in Reagan changed things a bit because look what happened with, with the first Bush. You know, there was no energy around him at all yeah. from, from the base. Even the second Bush, Republicans don't talk about him that much. You know, but with Trump, that is a cult of personality. So the Republicans have they they used to be the party of who's next, you know, and the Democrats are the party of who do we like, like who are we in love with, you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the Democrats kind of switched that with Hillary. She was who's next, and Trump was who are we in love with. So they kind of switched positions on that, and look what happened, you know. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to see. Are the Democrats going to produce somebody we'll be in love with, or are they going to produce somebody who's worthy? Yeah, you know? I think that's a good note to end it on. We'll see. we got a bunch more questions, but we'll get to those uh, We can handle time. those uh, in our next mailbag. Yes, sir. Um, well, thanks, everybody, for your questions. Please send your questions. You can send them to me on Twitter. Um, 
And uh, this was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks, Tommy. Go Cubs. Uh, for, Thanks go for Cubs. No, me. go Dodgers. What do you mean, go Cubs? <laughs> Tommy, we started this. You have to understand. I just hijacked You're your in pod. Los Angeles, Tommy. You're not in Chicago. If we're doing the podcast in Chicago, <laughs> Sir, fine. We're going on the road for game three. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. Um, we will see you soon. we got a lot of great guests coming up in the next few weeks. And uh, thanks for listening to Black on the Air. Black on the Air.